Do you wanna rub on Simba's tummy? Or think that Spider-Man looks extra yummy? The pain of childhood is super funny. On Did That Do It For Ya? Hello and welcome to That Do It For Ya podcast, the podcast where we talk about the media that made us horny for the first time. I made the decision to start a load of laundry before recording this podcast, so you'll hear the ambient noises of my dryer in the background on this lazy Sunday afternoon. I'm here with just a really honored guest, uh, my Twitter friend, and just one of my, I'm, I'm just such a fan, uh, Percy Hornack, or do you prefer Percival? I, either is fine. Percy Hornack, here you are. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I am I am okay. Um <laughs> it's like that wild like pre-semester time. Mm, when do you start school? September 1st. Which oh, very... What a what a fortuitous date. And where do you go to school? Uh I go to UMass Amherst. So I live in scenic and very gay Western Massachusetts. Oh yes. Did you see that map? on that was circling Twitter that was like the gay counties of of the United States. I also, I live in the gay county of Oregon or one of the like two gay counties in Oregon. So I was, you know, repping, but Western Massachusetts was just complete. The entirety of Massachusetts is filled in and I really Uh, love that for us. Where all the homosexuals are congregating to do their sinful activities. I've actually, I've, I've wanted to ask you questions about uh, U Amherst's MA program, but that's not for this podcast. <laughs> that's, that's like a private conversation between you and I to have later. Um, I don't think there's a single person I've asked how they are on this podcast that has been met with like, I'm thriving. <laughs> I'm doing so well. Uh, well, you know, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's 2021. I say as I like hold up a huge glass of wine and it's like it's four o'clock and on Western time. You know, I I feel like that's like a, a version of thriving. It is. What kind of climate change are you having over there? Um, it was extremely hot. It was 104 degrees on oh. Thursday. Um, in Massachusetts, yeah, which is oh. which is a lot. And apparently this year is like a record for well, the weather report framed it as like how wet Massachusetts has been, which I feel like is a funny way to say like there's been a lot of rainfall. Girl. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn! Yeah, that I I've never known the East Coast to to get quite that hot. Um, is it humid as well? Yeah, it's just like it's just disgusting. Um, it's it's less than less than great, but <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm my particular climate change at this moment is smoke, wildfire. Yeah. Yes, uh, I grew up in Southern Oregon, so you really, I've, I mean, I, I live there now also, but I have to clarify, like I left and like did other things. I'm not like that much of a townie. <laughs> not an Oregon but, person. Well, yes, in my heart, but I, <laughs> there's like Oregon people, and then there's like people from Oregon, and I like to mm-hmm. like qualify myself as the latter. Um, but yeah, I've met many Oregon people in my time and you don't strike me that way. So no, thank 
thank you. I do take that as a compliment, but now the rest of the state's going to come for me. Uh, Bundy family style. Uh, sorry to sorry to do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they're not going to come for me for being a transgender homosexual freak, then they're going to come for me about the comments I've said about Oregon. So <laughs> there sorry. we go. Uh, Percy, I love asking this question because most of my guests have been people I've known for a while, but this is our first official meeting. But how did we meet? Um, we met because a person who works with your company and I assume is a friend of yours <laughs> followed me on Twitter and was like, hey, you would really love this Animal Crossing play. And then I saw the Animal Crossing play and I was like, yes, I do love this Animal Crossing play. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and guess that was dear friend uh, and producer of the pod, Eleanor Hobson. Sure was. Yes. Uh, gotta, gotta hand it to dear Eleanor for following everyone on theater Twitter and just knowing exactly who to plug to. I talk all the time on Twitter about how I love games and also theater and want to put them together all the time. So yeah, it was, it was a good, a good targeted, whatever. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, you run a D and D podcast. Correct. I, I do. I do. I wouldn't necessarily call it a D and D podcast. It is like a is a TTRPG podcast, which feels like a good distinction to make because like okay. D&D is like dominated by cishet white men yes. and this is just a subculture that is like full of great people, but also full of terrible people. And like TTRPG culture is like also full of great and terrible people, but in a like special different way. <laughs> Thank you for telling me what this is. I learned something today. I, I don't play myself, but I have much respect. Well, if you ever want to, let me know, because that's a, a thing that I, a thing that I love to do. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I did play, um, what's it called? The one, it's, it's one where you are in Regency era England and you essentially act out a Jane Austen. By the author of Lady Windermere's fan. No, there's a different one, but <laughs> the silence. Also, the, that one is, that one is an Oscar Wilde TTRPG. <laughs> That's fun. I want to play that one too. No, it was, it was definitely, I think it was called like Good Society. That sounds very, that sounds very fun. And it very was good. really fun. I highly recommend it. It's the only uh, RPG, tabletop RPG I've ever played. Um, and it was very, it was a great time. But I did, uh, back when I was acting, I, I was in uh, She Kills Monsters. So I got kind of the, I got, I got a little bit of the experience and I, our, our dramaturg, that was very helpful. And you are a dramaturg. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, my, I remember I, I started following you because you were at the Animal Crossing show and I was like, I don't, who is this person with the awesome <laughs> name? <laughs> they're, so, they're so invested in this. I love this. And then I followed you on Twitter and we've just been liking each other's tweets and gassing each other up ever since. Yeah, it's a real a real, a real treat, a real just uh, transsexual connection. <laughs> Do you want to know something very funny? And I, mm. one of the one of the big reasons I invited you on here is because you are actually so key to my big coming out moment. You, a person I've never met in real life. What? That's amazing. <laughs> so let me tell you. Um, I watched. The reason I was finally able to kind of put the pieces together and feel like confident coming out and you know, being this, this happier, fuller version of myself is because for the first time ever, I watched Newsies, both the movie and the, the musical, uh, the, the filming of the musical on Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. And 
I had this really intense like wave like wave of secondhand gender euphoria while watching it I was just like watching these little lads jump around and and just be friends and and fight the man together and I was I was like crying a lot for several days afterwards and was having this like kind of really intense experience with the newsies and I tweeted out that like my gender is newsy and then I was like kind of doing a little bit of deeper digging on the internet and I realized that there is this like a bit of a common thread among trans masculine people within the theater community of like loving newsies and like being like oh yeah the newsies like this is totally it um and I was like so I tweeted at you uh let me get the actual tweet out I think the receipts I need the receipt I well I want to be accurate I don't want to I'm not trying to perjure myself. Anyway, it was something to along the lines of like, is uh, I need a dramaturg's opinion. Does this like stand? Is there any like validity to this? And you were like, Newsies is a valid gender. It's not something, it's everything. And I was like, holy shit. And then, yeah, just kind of that, that validation set me off on this path of, of self-discovery and self-acceptance and a lot of heterospect that has been exhausting and <laughs> right well <laughs> so your yeah. fault. thank you you're welcome <laughs> but also congratulations it's yeah it's like a it's like a thing yeah absolutely um, it's so yeah it's weird having a podcast with my given name and not sure what to do with that but I actually I'm gonna leave it because I think it's like what a cool little piece of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like a cool little trail one can follow. And if there's other people who are unsure of themselves or maybe don't know yet, maybe discovering a podcast where someone starts with one name and gender and has another is something cool and neat and something that people can realize is okay. And we're all doing yeah. all right. Yeah. Like on my, if you listen to the first season of my podcast, it was before I started testosterone and you could, if you wanted to play like a fun game, um, like I've joked about doing this as like a giveaway for our podcast where you like go and put the first season in order of when we recorded it based on the pitch of my ah! <laughs> Um, Cause it's wild. Um, it's yeah, it is. It is bananas. I but. love that. I love that. Well, now my new career goal is to direct a all transgender cast of Newsies and have it be like a, a trans story. If you listen to it and like people are going to steal my idea and I wish they wouldn't. Um, oh, it's, an ex- it's an extremely trans narrative. <laughs> it's an extremely trans narrative. Like you listen to some of these lyrics and like even still months after my hyperfixation has faded, like I like still listen to the lyrics and cry just because it's like whoa this is like very this is like a trans story wrapped up in like some a weird disney version of revolt against capitalism i feel like that's my favorite thing to talk to with other trans people is that because i feel like everybody has that one like thing that they got their gender from because like I make jokes all the time well I think they come across as jokes or bits but I'm 99% of the time serious but I'm like my gender is the way that Whitney Houston sings the word heat and I want to dance with somebody like that's like mostly not a joke there's a story here certainly I mean you're if you want to tell the story you're welcome to if not that's also fine but I don't know that there's like a story per se it's just like a just like a feeling like I was listening to it and I was like oh that's (laughs) that's it (laughs) and I wrote that down in my like journal that I keep about 
my gender, which is a silly thing to do, but oh, that's amazing. A you know, you just gotta, just gotta keep it all straight. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I got my gender from a 16th century poem about a knight of the round table. <laughs> Green knight? No, no, but so it's really funny because um, the green the green knight is the best friend of Sir Percival of the Round Table, which and that's where I got my name from. Oh. Um, and if you like go into the legend, it's very, very funny because like Sir Gowan is very much like the Chad, like hot <laughs> guy that everybody loves. And like canonically, like Sir Percival is like fully a virgin. Like, <laughs> like just like figuring out masculinity. Like he's just like doing his best. He kind of doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> and he's just bumbling along. <laughs> episode title in there somewhere <laughs> I mean I it's true Sir Gowan is a total Chad and then he's like shown the fuck up in the narrative of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight this is like this is my hyper fixation and like <laughs> we should like head this off at the pass but... <laughs> that's amazing well I mean what are the great source to get your name I should actually recommend you to Eleanor's podcast because she talks to people about names Mm. a quick 15 minute like how'd you get your name and I know she's like doing it with people with their both their given names and names that they chose for themselves um I don't maybe this might be a controversial take that gets me canceled by our community I don't love the term dead name I I don't use that I don't use that term yeah I don't um, why don't you like it um because that part of me didn't die <laughs> Like I'm the same, like I'm the same person that I was before. Like it's not two selves. Um, like it's not like I woke up in the middle and it was like, oh, there are two wolves inside of me and one is named Percival. <laughs> Excellent reference. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I say, I say birth name or given name. Um, yeah. And part of it, I think is also like, like, are you familiar with the like media trope of like, like trans person comes out and their mom is like, I have to mourn the person that you were or whatever and it's like yeah, I'm familiar with that yeah and it's just like that it's just bad vibes and I like if other if that is like a meaningful thing for other people to like make that separation cool but I don't feel that like yeah and I don't know how where you stand about that but I also like don't care about sharing photos of myself from like before I transition because it's like this is still me this is this is such a funny thing because like I'm so I'm still I'm not even like really a, a month into being out I mean mm -hmm. I've, I've been out to like people in my very close circle like my partner and my very best friends for a little for a little while longer than I've been like out publicly so to speak um no one was surprised <laughs> which is always a weird thing to deal with I feel like like it feels like it should be unequivocally a good thing but it's also like oh it's why didn't you tell me before it was a little bit yeah like why didn't they're it's not even like this and like to their credit they're not like well we knew that it was just it's more like oh like the vibes were there mm -hmm. um but this is kind of to get super deep and just I maybe I'm just like super excited to be talking to another trans masculine person mm -hmm. um but like I, I'm just gonna like let it all out. Yeah. For me, I like struggled so much with self-image for so long. And even when I was like, could look at myself and be like, okay, that's like a hot person. I know that there was still something about it that was just like, uh, 
you know, like when Kronk is like against the wall and he's like that sound, like kind of yes, exactly. buzzing. And just like hearing my friends like gas me up and be like, oh my God, like you're so attractive. And I'd be like, okay. And now like, I can't stop taking pictures of myself and like selfies. And I feel very like in myself in a way that I had never had before. So like, I'm not trying to erase that part of my life. And if people want to see that and if they think it's good, that's cool. But, and I, I think this is absolutely like a person to person thing. And I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of very loud voices um, that say like, scorched earth all the way like this is like what I need in order to move forward and like so much props to those people but I'm for me and it's nice to hear you say this too that like I I want to incorporate the past present and future parts of myself yeah yeah and I like because I find too that people who tend to be very like scorched earth and like this is who I am and like all of these things also are really fixated on like this is the language that I use for my gender. And this is like the things that you must call me. And I'm just sort of like, like there was like a time where I cared really deeply about that when I first like came out or whatever, but now I'm just like, oh, like I actually don't want to be legible to other people at all. Like I, my, not perceive me. like my, yeah, like my desire, particularly for like a cis person to like see me be like, oh, I understand what's going on with them. It's like <laughs> zero. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because it's just like, like, and more and more, I don't even care if I know, like I say transmasculine because like that's the direction that my body is going in. But like, um, yeah, like I'm not like a man. It's like that, do you know that TikTok sound where it's like- just a, You know the TikTok sound. Just, like, just, a, just a little guy. A little guy? A little fella? <laughs> a woman? No. <laughs> man? Also no. Yeah, just yeah, like more and more. I'm just like, oh, like I actually like I don't, I don't like care to figure this out. I'm actually okay with it just being like a thing, and like here is the language that you should use, and that's all that we need to talk about. Yes. Oh my god. And I, I tell this to a lot of friends I have who um, are questioning their gender or like wanting to like incorporate they them into their pronoun set. And what I always say is like, look, like gender should be a something that you kind of address every day and come to with curiosity and the allowance within yourself to meet yourself where you're at at any given moment without anyone else's perception of coming into it. Or, you know, like if you want to be perceived a certain way, letting yourself and like not being like, oh, don't, don't let don't let the ghosts and, and spooky figures of, of our society that we live in be part of that. Yeah, I recently saw uh, one of my really, really good friends from college and I, yeah, we just like hung out for a night while I happened to be like um, in Philly and he was, he was talking to me about a conversation he and his wife had had and he was like, yeah, we're just getting gayer and there. And I was like, yes. Gayer and there, I love that. It's so good. But yeah, I just, it's like really cool to see so many people who are just like, oh, like I... I don't know what's happening, but I do know that something is happening and I'm going to just like signify that and let it, and let it happen. Yep. Um, as opposed to, yeah. Cause I feel like part of the reason I didn't realize I was trans until like 
a couple of years ago is that I was like, oh, my options are man. <laughs> and that's the, and then that's my option and that's not it. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm cisgender. <laughs> and that's like something too. And like something again, like, wow, putting so much pressure on you in this, but like having access to the internet and having access to like a lot of like other types of people. I think there's like this idea of like, oh, well, a trans man is, is this very specific thing. And so for the longest time I was like, well, I'm not that, that's not like my experience. I don't feel that way. And then there was very, at one time, many, many years ago around when I like decided like to come out as non-binary, I was, I told this like trusted group of friends and then this twink was also there. And he, and I told him like, you know, I think like I'm trans masculine. I think I identify as being like a gay man. Like this is, I think how I feel inside. This is how I'm aligning. And the twink was just like, no, you're not, you're not a gay man. I fight this twink. I hate this twink. Oh my God. I hate this twink. And like still very much like a person that every time, like there's this phrase known as bitch crackers. Mm-hmm. which is like a person that for reasons either like very valid or very invalid like anything they do pisses you off and they'll just be eating crackers and you're just like oh look at that bitch yes. eating crackers just like eating their bitch crackers and that's bitch crackers and that's obviously I think I have like reasons to dislike this twink for how like I tried to come out and then like ran back into the closet for a little bit because of the invalidation yeah. of that statement but and I think queers might be a little bit too hung up on validation in general but <laughs> this is this is I think extremely true. This is also funny to me because I I'm what my friend Charles calls a um a trans mask of ring of keys experience. Ah! Which is my favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true and that's like a thing not to like get into it. But we've gotten into, get into it. it. Well cuz like what I've been finding as I'm like still like figuring out gender stuff and whatever because like my sexuality has been like a weird question mark my entire life like I've just kind of like done what I was doing at the time and it was just like fine um but I realized like after I came out like oh like all of the language that we have for what sexuality means is predicated on the people involved being cisgender and like once you are not there's just no (laughs) it just doesn't matter no, and like lesbians love to gatekeep trans people of all kinds out of out of lesbian spaces, which is like a whole, it's which a is whole, like a whole thing. It's a whole thing, which is so funny because I don't know, like I have a friend who recently came out as like a trans man, as like a male lesbian. And I don't know a single person that they have not pursued, that they haven't like vetted. And yet yeah. lesbians are so gatekeepy. And I'm like, and yet... <laughs> well and it's so it's so shitty because like and I didn't necessarily have this direct experience in part because like most of my friends and community are also trans um so like it just hasn't come up for me um but like I see so many like people who come out as trans masculine and like we're lesbians or we're living as queer women for a really long time and suddenly like their friend groups don't want anything to do with them and they don't have access to their social spaces and it's like uh-huh. I don't fit in with your twi- with your twink bitch cracker friend <laughs> like you know like I, friends. like I don't fit in with gay men like I don't want to hang out with gay men oh no they're bad <laughs> <laughs> my community is bad it's yeah it's so it's like 
it's so frustrating because I'm just like, no, like all of this is made up and none of it matters. <laughs> um, like it genuinely. Amen to that. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I am of the opinion that like, I don't know, I work with, I work with trans teenagers. Oh. Um, it's very cute. It's very sweet. They're the best. Oh. Um, one of them uh, calls their gender, gender apathetic, which is a big fucking mood. <laughs> My 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 face was lit up at that. That's fantastic. It's so good. Oh, they um, really are a future. I well, genuinely, I'm just like, oh, like you had Tumblr even earlier than I did. Like you know so much more <laughs> than me about like I didn't know non-binary was an option until three years ago. Um, and you were 14. Um, <sighs> like it's imagine. crazy. Yeah, yeah. In many um, ways, blessed. In many ways, the last yeah. generation. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just so it's wild. It's just like it's cool for me because I'm like figuring things out along with them. And we're all just like like uh the first year that I worked at this theater, I went um and there was this kid and we were doing, I was doing a show devising something with their teen ensemble and one of the teens. Um, I had been told in advance was like dealing with some gender stuff, but like nobody knew exactly like what was going on. <laughs> um, and I was also unbeknownst to everybody else dealing with some gender stuff and like trying on they them pronouns and like but didn't know how to tell other people that because they would just like assume and then after that point I was like well I don't <laughs> I guess I just won't say anything to you <laughs> um which was like kind of messy but the lighting designer was very sweet and was like hey like I've noticed I've noticed the way that you respond to this language and I just want to check in with you about it and I was like oh it turns out actually <laughs> Um, but anyway, so I do the summer and I like shortly after I got back from that summer stock thing, like it came out as non-binary and whatever and changed my pronouns and whatever. And then a whole other thing happened. And then last summer I go to do another project with this theater and the teen from my first summer and I both come in, we're both using he, him pronouns. We both have changed our first names and oh. we just like... That's so precious. It is really good. What 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 work do you do with youth now? Um, so at that at that theater, I started a an LGBTQ social hour. So we just like watch clips from Steven Universe, and I like taught them um, about Pride and about Stonewall and about like queer history, and we talk about I gendered and stuff like it's just, it's mostly just like this is in rural New Hampshire um and some of these kids don't have they either have families that don't understand them or they have families that aren't supportive of them so it is also largely just a place for for like an hour and a half you can have somebody use the right name and the right pronouns for you which turns out is like a game changer yeah well, I mean, I was over here a second ago being like, our community is too hung up on validity, but honestly, are we? Well, that's the, that's the balance that I'm trying to strike is like, cause I remember feeling really like, like it was important to me that there was a word for a thing that I am, you know what I mean? Like, it makes you feel like you are not alone and like, you're not crazy for oh. your experience. And like, that's important, but also like, yeah, I, I wish that it was, I wish that more people were able to like evolve past the point of needing that once they feel like, oh, okay, like I, this is, this is a, this is a real thing that I've experienced. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, uh, I met a, um, I met a tender queer once 
during a talk back of the first production of Cabin 12, which you saw on Animal Crossing. Um, and I was, um, my work was, uh, uh, this person was not a fan of my work. Uh, and I should like probably say right now, Cabin 12 is like a semi-autobiographical story about what happened to me at Girl Scout camp when I dared to have a crush on a fellow camper. Um, <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever, I'd grown up with lesbian parents and I'd never heard the D word until I was in fourth or fifth grade at this Girl Scout sleepaway camp. Um, so semi-autobiographical experience with Cabin 12. And the person, we were on a panel discussing like queerness in theater and making like queer theater. And what is queer theater? And the person had seen Cabin 12 the night before and was like, you know, like, I don't think that Cabin 12 is a good example of queer theater because it centers around a violent outing of like a person and like queerness shouldn't be like the center of a character's narrative and like violence like shouldn't do that. And like, we have to like move past that in order to like be like taken seriously as people and like our, like it can't just be coming out stories and it can't just be violence. And I like didn't know what to do with that because I'm like, I hear you and I see what you mean. And like, this was my life story, bro. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do with that? I wish that people didn't get so hung up on like, cause that's what, that's what pisses me off about so many tender queer theater, not even yeah. in theater. But, <laughs> well, cause it's so fixated on like, oh, like we can't, you know, we can't give like the straights an excuse to whatever. And I'm like, actually, no, like the way that our world is set up is like inherently othering to us. So I actually sort of feel like uh, be like doing anything predicated on like, oh, like we need people to, we need to expose straight people to a variety of queer narratives. I'm like, actually, no, like representation is not going to win us anything. <laughs> so like, let me do what I want to do. <laughs> please also I just I just I don't know like I read so someone gave me a very lovely graphic novel I won't say the name of the graphic novel because I'm going to drag it a little bit and I don't want this creator to think I'm not like respecting of their work but in this novel there was you know transness and queerness like the characters were uh trans and queer and in loving supportive relationships and they had to you know go they there was werewolves and they had to go like fight the big werewolf and blah 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 and I just felt like this is fine but it felt very much like I'm writing a queer story in which like queerness is not like the conflict and I'm like that doesn't always necessarily feel like the queer stories I want to consume because while yes, a lot of my life is not in conflict with my queerness, the really juicy stuff that I want to write about is the, are the moments where my queerness is the conflict. Like that's the part that I cannot seem to like move past. And as a writer who does write semi-autobiographically, like that's the stuff, that's the juicy stuff for me that I'm writing and like directing to figure out. So it was yeah. like hard for me to hear that feedback and be like, I just like, don't, this is where the conflict is for me as a creator. This is where the, the interesting stuff lives. Well, and like, yeah, like not to be like what, like whatever, like that person's opinion doesn't matter, but like, I don't know, having watched the show also, like um, 
I don't know, as a person who, uh, like, somebody spray-painted Dyke on my locker in middle school, which is, like, like they weren't wrong. Well, <laughs> you know, right, like, but it also makes. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's, like, it's not great. Like, if, like whatever. Um, everyone got bullied in middle school, I feel like. Oh. Um, but, like, as a person who saw that experience, like, I connected with the show because I had that experience, and it's just, like, like, I don't know. I feel like I matter more than the generic straight person who like not to like whatever but like (laughs) and I also feel like there's no like people are like oh we have to have stories where like you know that the characters are queer but it's not about their queerness I'm like there's very few good ways to do that Uh um that aren't super boring like it's Uh like I feel like you either need to like do a do a thing about queerness or gender or whatever or do like a matrix or like a um have you read um Noelle Stevenson's graphic novel Nimona no it's you should read it it's very very good um but I won't spoil it but it has a it has a character in it who's a shapeshifter and I think that narrative is super trans so I feel like either you want to do something that is explicit or something where it is like coded and embedded in it such that the people who need it can find what they need to in there. Like I um, watched The Matrix for the first time this year and I was watching and I was like, how did nobody know that this is a trans allegory? How are these people who are like red-pilled, like not? How are, yeah, how do you watch this and not like know that it is about gender? And I know that I like experience that because that's like, like wow what a useful metaphor to be able to pull out now and be like oh like I can't just like not be trans because now I understand like now I see it and you can't un you can't unsee it it's like me and the newsies it's true everybody's wearing a little newsboy cap around you (laughs) (laughs) I guess for me it's like I want my queer media to be queer and I feel like too the people who are like anti- coming out stories and anti this and anti that like secretly just want this very like sanitized queerness of just like like there's no sex and there's no this and there's no that it's the no can get pride people (laughs) and it's just like like, I don't know like like being queer is largely about sex (laughs) like it is a it is an orientation to the world it is a way of receiving the world and it is a way of interacting and it is political and whatever but it is also like the people that I sleep with yes it so lesbian parents um, I went to Pride as a child, like, I, no issues, <laughs> like, it's not, <laughs> no issues, um, but yeah, I think it's, like, the same people who, like, write fanfic, and they're, like, see, you can make stories without conflict, no, you can't. Like, but the, the author of the original, like, stuff that you're writing about did the job for you (laughs) like they made the conflict for you and you're writing about a moment of repose from that like that's still (laughs) yeah yeah it's just like yeah I just wish that everybody would stop telling other people what to do (laughs) like just do like just do the thing that you're going to do and leave everyone else alone um amazing and on that note we should probably talk about what I brought you here to talk about let's do it so what are we talking about today we're talking about scooby-doo and the witch's ghost yes (laughs) amazing i'm gonna cast a spell on you you're gonna do what i want you to mix it up here in my little bowl say a few words and you lose control 
this is what you want to talk about. I was so excited. Well, first you also offered the Thomas O'Malley, which in fairness to you and also everyone else in this world, uh, everyone first comes to me with Thomas O'Malley, every single person. That's absolutely wild to me because I was like, this is so weird. But then I looked and I was like, oh, like the cartoon animals that I had a crush on when I was younger, you have already covered because I'm 99% sure you also have an episode about Kovu from The Lion King too. We don't have an episode about Kobu from The Lion King 2. We well, have that's an another good one. We have an episode about Timon from Lion King 1 and a half. That's amazing. That's even better than Kobu from The Lion King 2. <laughs> it, <laughs> that is one of my favorite episodes today. But I do actually, I actually have to use this moment to say, I know that in the past I have uh, plugged a certain book by a certain... Uh, transphobic uh, author. I did not know at the time when I was promoting this book that this author was turfy as hell. Um, I want to apologize to everyone I recommended Regina to. Naomi Wolf does not represent me or my feelings about anything. And also she's anti-vax. So Rip. my apologies. <laughs> I was wrong and I can admit that. Anyway, that was my my soapbox about Naomi Wolf. My apologies, everyone. Um, we're talking about, yeah, no, we didn't do an episode on Lion King 2, but uh, you're welcome to come back and talk about Kobu if you so wish. The number one is is the Hex Girls from Scooby-Doo and the Witches. Let's, let's get into it. I, I want to know what your first experience watching this, and not necessarily your first, like, awakened experience watching this, but, like, what was your first encounter with with Scooby-Doo and, and the Witch's Ghost. Um, I feel like you're I feel like you're going to find this really funny because it is like like you could not write this more perfectly as like a like a queer awakening. Um so uh for context, I was raised uh Wiccan. My mom is my mom is Wiccan. Um and I was like raised I was raised non-religiously and then like came to Wicca when I was like old enough to care about. <laughs> that rules spirituality um but I don't know what the reason is but I the kindergarten and preschool that I attended was a deeply like evangelical Christian kindergarten um <laughs> yes I don't hey, where I are don't, you from I'm from Philadelphia oh okay go on yeah which is not like a which is That's not like a hotbed Catholics live <laughs> this is extremely true this is like yeah this is like a very Christian kindergarten and I don't know why that was the one that my mom was like perfect. it was close <laughs> probably but anyway the first time I saw this film was indeed at the at the Christian kindergarten oh. um oh no did they have feelings about it or were they like yeah this this is good I mean I don't know that the movie would like I don't I think it's one of those things that like if you're watching it's just like oh it's like a spooky, a spooky thing about witches and they like I guess we're fine with showing us media that is like pr <laughs> promoting witchcraft <laughs> Yeah, this is something interesting about this movie is that this is one of the few movies where there's actual like magic at play and the villain is not just capitalism, although like that's there. Um, but like this is the first one that actually has like, or maybe the, the only one I can really think of that has like actual magic and like ooky spoopy stuff in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. And like, like the like the problem is solved with witchcraft. So like, I don't know if they didn't think this through. 
but this was also like around when the movie came out so I guess they were just like I don't know children love Scooby-Doo yeah that's true man that's children love Scooby-Doo so what was your first like awakened experience with it I feel like because I feel I feel like a lot of people talk about how like children can't like there is like a whole thing about how like children can't be queer and whatever but I feel like 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 I watched this when I was like I don't know very very young and then I watched it again at like a sleepover or whatever and I was like oh the hex girls are everything the hex girls are everything this is nice (laughs) I yeah because I shortly thereafter embarked on my own like goth phase um and like very much referred to myself as an eco-goth even though I best phrase what happened to the (laughs) eco-goth Where did they go? And they sing a very wholesome song about how we all have to care for the earth. I know they slip in this very like, uh, like eco, I don't want, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the very like pro environmentalist message at the end of this movie where they're like, we have to care about the earth. And I'm like, where did this, where was this energy for the entire movie? This feels like a little out of left field, but I do appreciate it. Yeah, like I, I guess you, I guess good to like slide that in there. But yeah, there's no, <laughs> nothing, nothing made me think that we were approaching this as the, as the end of the film. Yeah, I mean, but the hex girls are like unequivocally hot. Um, the original uh, big titty goth GF. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, we should probably like for those. We'll, we'll do a quick uh, synopsis here. These Scooby Gang. Uh, if you don't know who those people are, I, I can't help you. Um, <laughs> or if we're too far beyond uh, to, to, to explain who those people are. Please just Google Scooby-Doo. Yes. <laughs> Where have you been? Uh, the Scooby gang, uh, they are in a museum and they they, they unearthed the fact that the, the haunting at the museum has been the, the people, the, the professors whose funding got pulled. And I felt bad for those people. I was like, oh, that that really sucks. Sorry. Yeah, like then, I now in my adulthood, I can relate to that, and I too would probably like menace a menace the museum, right? I'm like feeling that right now. We're like trying to pull together some funding for this theater festival, and I'm like, I'm gonna hurt everyone. I'm gonna put on a zombie oh, costume. Oh, pulling our funding! I'm about to go full Scooby Rogue, crappy anyway. <laughs> do over here, but. So then they they meet at the at the museum. They meet a famed New England horror writer Stephen King. Just kidding. They meet famed horror writer Ben Ravencroft. What a name! What a what a name! Yeah, and then they go to Oak Haven, which is low key just Salem, Massachusetts. I feel they, I love how they're like we're gonna avoid like anything that might get us in legal trouble here. We're just, we're just gonna avoid any names of places. <laughs> and so they go to Salem, Massachusetts or Oak Haven, whichever. Then they're like checking out the foliage, um, which I mean, nothing beats fall New England foliage. Um, it's true, but there are also like, Ben gets there and he's like, why are there so many tourists in my small Yeah, he's town? mad that there are tourists when I'm like, dude. <laughs> you live in New England. <laughs> You live in New England and you just go there in the fall. You're telling me that you're not used to these tourists. So he's all pissed off the tourists are there. There's this guy who's like selling t-shirts like, I saw the ghost. And then the, the town mayor is like very enthusiastic that the Scooby gang is there and they go to the diner and they eat, eat, eat. And then they they go to the, 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 uh, the, the 
what do they call it? Puritan Puritan village. (laughs) I love their honesty about that. That's my favorite part is they're like the Puritan village. And I'm like, well, thank God you didn't call them pilgrims. (laughs) Where there's people like churning butter. And Ben Ravencroft reveals that he had an ancestor who was persecuted in the witch trials. And he insists that she is a misunderstood Wiccan healer. Yeah. Yeah, this movie does a really weird thing where like they don't really understand what Wicca is. And like, speaking as somebody who used to practice it, there are a lot of things wrong with Wicca as a practice. I will just go ahead and put that disclaimer out there that like, well, Wicca has a lot of appropriative problems and it's not great. However, it is also not this like, like eco eco goth like <laughs> healing and caring for the earth practice inherently but yeah yes. they're drawing this weird distinction between like real horrible witchcraft and wicca they're just making shit up at this point and there's no reference to indigenous peoples whatsoever um <laughs> they're not touching that to um, be fair i don't know that i would trust the Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Scooby-Doo and the crime of colonialism. Uh-huh. Scooby-Doo and the genocide. Um, but so then Ben Ravencroft is like, we're looking for my ancestor's spell book because she was misunderstood. And I want to like prove that she was unjustly persecuted. And like, he brings up points. Like points were made by Ben. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah and the in the town very clearly like the mayor's very clearly like oh like this town needs tourist income and like the town is struggling and we need to like draw people in um and yeah everyone is like scared because there's this scary ghost that said that she was ben ravencroft's ancestor who is yeah. haunting the town and menacing everybody yes you can tell that we both watched the movie recently. <laughs> um, so then like they decide they're gonna do like, they're gonna investigate in the nighttime, of course. And they see some explosion. Oh, wait, does the ghost, does the ghost haunting happening first? Yeah, the ghost, the ghost comes after Shaggy and Scooby who are very, very scared. Um, Naturally. And they also encounter the hex girls and are like, they're so scary. Um, <laughs> They are hot. They are hot. They are, yeah, goths with their own individual color schemes. It is immaculate. Um, oh, they are, they're out, their fits are on point. Their fangs look perfect. And I don't know if you've ever like worn even like really high quality fangs that you like gel onto your like mm-hmm. little teeth. Even I was vampire weekend where I was like dressed as like a preppy person with vampire fangs for one Halloween. That's very funny. Thank you. Uh, I take Halloween very seriously, as any gay person should. And those things are hard to talk in. And these girls are just like, we sing perfectly. We enunciate very well with our fangs. And they are green, red, and what's the other one? Purple? Yeah. Yeah, And their names are Thorn, Luna. And Dusk. Um, yeah, they are they are like a like a a punk eco goth band <laughs> who lives in this town, which to be fair, like does it make sense for Salem, Massachusetts or Scooby Doo Salem, Massachusetts? Have you been to the real Salem, Massachusetts? 
I haven't. Um, although a person that I'm friends with has just moved there, so I have like a, a good excuse to go. Well, shit. I know. I just it's funny to me that these girls are like here and they're like, we're from here, but we're about to make it big. To be fair, they do. They show up later in other Scooby-Doo films and they are like doing really well for themselves. Yeah. Good for that. There's there's tension because Fred obviously thinks that they're sexy, rightly so. Um, and then Daphne is a little peeved by this. Um, then they're going to, they obviously like all the Scooby gang is going to split up and obviously like Fred and Daphne are going to go like make out somewhere. They go to spy on Sally, the lead hex girl. Oh yeah. And she's like, she, they like overhear a conversation where the hex girl's like, we're going to do the, are we going to do the ritual tonight before our show tomorrow? And then you like Fred and Daphne see her doing like a spooky potion thing in like a shed um, yeah he's like in a shed in her magic shed her magic her, her she shed she's in her she shed and she's she's like brewing some some steaming liquids and like mixing them together and she's like raising them up to the heavens for, for blessings and they're like oh shit we've got a real witch on our hands um, um. <laughs> Yeah, and like Velma and Shaggy and Scooby and everybody all go and they find some other clues. Um, and eventually they figure out like, oh, the witch is actually the pharmacist of the town who was selling the t-shirts and everybody in the town's in on it because they're trying to attract tourists to the town. Um, Which I love. As someone from like a, a, tour a town where like tourism is the main like supporter of our uh economy like I love when towns all get together to like play a little game we what I think it, to do it fourth of July's Halloween's all of it well it's so funny because if you like in the Puritan village scene like everybody in the town is working there and I'm just like do you not have other things to do you have no other jobs this is it <laughs> this is these what you're not, doing or, or do you think these are like actors that they like bust in from the city to be like to want to jump I don't know. I no, I would take that job actually. I think that sounds actually kind of fun. fun as fuck. I mean, I did that. That was actually my job when I lived in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, was Ooh. to I was like a I was in St. Patrick's Cathedral. I was like a a ghost of the cathedral, and I played uh, Jonathan Swift's girlfriend. And I was like wore this dress, and I like walked around, and I was like, Ooh. and I would like That's give so cool information. It was fun. It was a good time. Mostly like my job was wearing a pretty dress and walking around, and that was pretty fun. <laughs> it was yeah, pretty. Like fun. So yeah, definitely. If those jobs come up, take those jobs. They're pretty. They're pretty low maintenance, and uh, you can fun clothes. I'm also the point I made I, I I wrote the only note that I made while I was watching it is like the town did not ask the Scooby gang to solve this mystery yeah yeah it was kind of not a not a great thing they just showed them. up and they're like ha ha a mystery is afoot and the town was like no yeah no point did anybody ask like oh like can you like figure out what this ghost is doing um so now the town is left the day before their autumn festival with no ghost. And the hex girls are like, we're, we're a draw. And, and like, they're like, I agree. And they're like, sorry, ladies. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> Sit down, women. <laughs> um, and they're all like, oh, okay. And then, and then 
they come back with a vengeance. Yes, they do. Um, yes, yeah. So then they're like, I forget. I just watched this movie yesterday, but I forget kind of what happens in between them outing the townspeople as the ghost. And so then ben, ben is like, oh, I'm so sad. Where's my Where's my ancestor's book? Mm-hmm. And Velma like makes and makes a smart connection with a painting of her and figures out where the book is buried and then plot twist uh the witch was evil all along it was a real witch all along and she was bad and she was evil and ben is evil and he lured the scooby gang to the town under false pretenses god damn it and so yeah he's kind of driving the whole thing town did not ask them to out their their ghost plot but then ben is like i need this situation to go down and they find the book and it's like a bad book and he's like she wasn't a wiccan she was a witch and everyone's like oh (laughs) shit fuck goddamn except it's you know scooby-doo so then he's like gonna bring back his ancestor with the, the magic and he does so successfully and but not quite what he thought because she shows up and she's like and he's like oh let's like do evil together and she's like you can choke like <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he's just sort of like okay <laughs> no and then she starts like transforming pumpkins and like I gotta be honest, like I don't really have the when when things start being stop being narrative, I kind of check out. So like any sort of action sequence, I'm like on my phone, like, all right. So if, I might have missed something, but like pumpkins and they make the turkey really big and they're she's trying to like kill the Scooby gang. I assume, like I assume death is on the table, though I don't know if that's ever explicitly stated. Yeah, I don't think she's like, I'm going to kill you, but like she burned their box of Scooby snacks, which is like <sighs> close enough to death (laughs) for them yeah so but then they need to get um they're like thorn or sally or whatever your name is you are a wiccan you are you're a good witch and you can you you your magic can can put this 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 lady back inside this book and so she says the little spell and the witch goes away and then they do their concert and they fucking rock. Yeah. And they invite the Scooby gang on stage with them, which is very generous of them to do. (laughs) They're like, yeah, play the tambourine. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah. And then they, they have like kind of a little, like we need to care about mother earth. This is very out of left field, but trust us. And uh, that's kind of the movie. That's the movie. I get you know, I don't, I don't, are you into like horror? Are you like a horror genre person? Um, it, it is like extremely context dependent. Like I don't like horror films because I'm an enormous baby. Um, and I don't like, like jump scares and things like that, but I do listen to a lot of like horror narrative podcasts Mm -hmm. and things like that. And I like the no sleep separate. Like I like like spooky, creepy things. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I, I love that. I saw like a tweet somewhere. I gotta start documenting these things. I'm gonna get in trouble one day. Um, but I saw a tweet somewhere that was like Scooby Doo was like so many of our first like introduction to horror, and like the reason our like we love like horror so much is because we grew up on Scooby Doo. And I'm like, ah, that's fair. I don't. I'm like you. I'm like a big soft little baby. Um, and I just like I don't really fuck with horror. I'm, I I watched The Ring too young and like the months of sleep lost 
from from that experience like kind of turned me off horror but I do think that like this is the kind of about as, as scary as I can get yeah I feel like for me it's less about like like an into horror and more like um like I was like a shithead little kid who thought I was really smart and like <laughs> wanted to be like the guy that rolls up to a situation is like I can put together the clues like so you um, were a Velma yeah I was such a Velma like I yeah I was yeah was high key a Velma and I was like oh like this is like this is cool and I also just like think that cartoon physics are fun and Scooby-Doo is like I would argue one of the among the best um, oh, yeah like you could it, it was interesting watching that and seeing kind of um the episode I recorded just before this, uh, we talked about Reboot, the 90s, the first like computer animated series on television. And you can really see like where other animated series have like used Reboot as kind of a blueprint mm -hmm. from everything from Adventure Time, Steven Universe, like even things like Bojack Horseman and like it's you can see that too in Scooby-Doo where it's like, oh, there's like a lot of a lot of like contemporary cartoons are using this as a foundation. Mm -hmm. um, which is really cool and exciting just to kind of see the through line there. I love animation. So there's something that kind of comes up on this podcast again and again, um, especially because I talk to mostly queer people. I think I've only had like five straight people on here. Mm. Um, but like, did you see in the Hex Girls, did you see them as like a, a something as aspirational or like purely like, an object of desire I think definitely both mm. um because they did absolutely yeah like I like prompt an enormous like scene phase <laughs> for me but I was also yeah I, I think it was even like a situation of like I can't tell if I like if I desire that or if I want to be that yeah, it's, yeah I think it's, question. <laughs> it's probably it's probably both uh -huh. um but yeah because I think it was also like a factor of like like they're using language for like, like they're talking about Wicca and even though it is certainly not like what that actually is, like it's mm -hmm. cool to like, to like hear other people use that word and be like, oh, like you, like, oh, like I want to date a witch. Like I'm a witch, like, yeah. Yeah, like that, like that feeling of desire was definitely like the thing that prompted me to being like, oh, like I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably mm -hmm. queer. Mm -hmm. I don't have the language for this, but I, think that this is probably true yeah and they I mean they they themselves like are pretty queer coded like watching yeah back now I'm like oh these girls are gay <laughs> yeah it was so funny I went on a trip with my D&D group like a month ago um and we got to this like Airbnb or whatever in the middle of the Poconos yes. and we were looking they had an original Xbox which is a wild thing to have in an Airbnb wow. and they had all these DVDs and we were looking and my friend Alex like picked up one of them and it was Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost and he was like this cabin is queer coded and I was like <laughs> it's true Scooby-Doo was for the gays <laughs> it's true well and yeah like the Hex Girls are so sapphic um <laughs> like there is nothing gayer about a, like a coven of goth witches <laughs> <laughs> doing the ritual tonight <laughs> well yeah like I feel like because I feel like my entry to queerness was less about like maybe this is silly but it was like less about like desire and sex and whatever and it's more about aesthetics like queer <laughs> aesthetics felt yeah yeah no I, I that noise was me agreeing with you yes <laughs> um but yeah and I think that's actually like a common theme that we, I've seen a lot through these interviews is like 
and I, I, I firmly do not believe that like kids can't be queer. That's stupid. Like, of course they can be. Like, I also like, this is where I get in trouble. I think sometimes with this podcast where people get a little mad at me, but my experience of childhood was knowing what sex was, knowing that someday I was going to have it and being like, ooh, <laughs> and being, recognizing when I was experiencing desire and longing. Like yeah. that was a part of my childhood. And like, it was never, I never felt inappropriate. It always felt very much wrapped up in my internal, whatever was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's also my experience. And like, yeah, this was definitely among a few things where I was just like, oh, like I, now I have a, like, now I can understand what that would feel like. Now I can place that in context of like with somebody else, as opposed to just an abstract, like, yeah, yeah. like sex as a concept, as opposed to like, oh, like now, like, obviously I'm not going to have sex with the hex girls <laughs> because they're cartoons. <laughs> I would love to, however probably probably won't but yeah it was definitely like an entry point into being like oh like this is like this is like a real intangible thing yeah um and it's not like a it's not like a me thing it's a me in addition to somebody else thing yes exactly exactly and like that you kind of lead me so wonderfully to my next question is like do you do you see that like first spark of like attraction and desire in the hex girls like do you see that repeated throughout your life and your tastes now Obviously you said it launched you into this goth phase, but like, I mean, do you see, do you see like a pattern? Um, I think like, <laughs> I don't want to, like, I feel bad, like breaking down like people that I'm attracted to into like archetypes, but that is definitely like, like a, like a branch. Um, Cause like most of the people that I have like slept with in my lifetime fall into like the, like one of three categories of like golden retriever gamer bf um like goth trans woman or like <laughs> roguish little guy <laughs> ah! i love that <laughs> so like, I mean, it's a hex girl hex girl is is part of that obviously yeah feeds feeds directly it yeah like i I think, yeah, I think the major, like, impact that this had was largely, like, oh, like, I'm a lesbian, um, <laughs> and the truth of that fell away at some point, but it was definitely just, like, oh, like, I'm, I'm gay. I'm gay. <laughs> that big moment. I mean, I would feel remiss if we were, and you, you mentioned this earlier, and I think that was the point I was trying to make before it, like, absolutely fell out of my head, um, mm. but I, I, I would feel remiss if we didn't, like, talk a little bit about live-action Scooby-Doo and uh, Linda Cardellini and her oh, iconic and devastatingly sexy uh, portrayal of Velma. <laughs> so like, first of all, this is like legitimately and unironically my favorite movie. Um, it is such a good oh, movie. <laughs> it is such a good movie. Such a good movie. <laughs> um, Linda Cardellini is like, like I'm not generally a person who has like celebrity crushes, but like I make an exception for Linda Cardellini. Cause I also like, I watched Freaks and Geeks when I was in high school or whatever. And I was just like, oh shit. Like this is, this is the thing. Um, Cause like when I was growing up in addition to witchcraft and whatever, I also like grew up in DIY and punk music spaces. Like I went to a lot of like house shows and basement shows. And I like was very much like in that scene. So like the like 
punk and goth aesthetic has always been a thing that is attractive to me and a thing that I just like gravitate towards, which is also like <laughs> X girls are hopping right in there. Yeah, they are. Um, so yeah, so like I encountered her, I think probably first in live action Scooby-Doo. Um, and she is so sexy. She's so hot. Um, and I, I felt like that, yeah, that mattered not only because I was like, oh, like I am attracted to her, but also like, oh, you can be smart and also hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Linda Cardellini like stepped in to say like, no, no, like we're making, <laughs> we're making everyone attracted to brains. <laughs> it's true. What's that, hmm? What's that word? Sorry, I'm a himbo. What's that word that like, oh, sapiosexual. She turned oh, us all I... into sapiosexual. <laughs> Oh, I will say that word is a red flag if I encounter it on the that word. Whatever, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like, oh, like you're an asshole. Shut <laughs> up. I like hot people. Gross. Can't it's true. That's true. And I, well, and it's so funny now because I also like self-identify as a himbo and I like, <laughs> I'm just like a dumbass who's running on vibes only. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, like I definitely, and I'm going to like, this is going to sound like shitty and conceited because I'm like, oh, like I struggled with being so smart when I was growing up that I was like, how could I ever be hot? Um, <laughs> um, I like fully came on this podcast and I was like, people called me hot and I didn't feel that way. <laughs> you can go ahead and call yourself smart and sexy. That's okay. <laughs> it was, it's true. Now I, now I can fully embrace those two parts of myself, but I definitely like when I was growing up, I was just like, oh, like you can be either, uh, you could be like ugly and smart, or you can be hot and dumb. Well, those were <laughs> the I'm... options presented to us in the media, or you had the option to like be chosen by the popular male and like take off your glasses and be sexy. I'm looking at you. She's all that. Another Freddie Prince joint. Um <laughs> not an ally to the not an ally to the queer community how could Rachel Lee Cook do this to us I know um Cats is the best movie ever that's so good <laughs> but yeah I like definitely I self-identified with Velma I actually like this is like another thing that like sounds like a bit to people who aren't trans but is definitely like has some has some truth to it of like the Scooby-Doo gang is definitely like as a collective like a gender for me yeah <laughs> 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 like, like there's like a like there's like a little bit of everything. Um, I'm, I'm that's identifying really hard right now. <laughs> it's yeah, like I, yeah. There's something of, there's something about it, and it's like unnameable in a lot of ways. But I definitely, when I was growing up, self-identified with Velma in terms of just being like, oh, like this is a person who can be multifaceted, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like because her whole journey in the live-action Scooby-Doo movie is all about like discovering what it feels like to be attractive to someone and that was like a thing that I struggled a lot with when I was growing up is feeling like I was attractive um and it was cool to be able to like see a person the character of whom I like had identified with basically my whole life and for her to like experience that and I think if I remember right it like turns out that it was like a, a ruse and like the person was like fucking her over and taking advantage of her but like that aside <laughs> like that like that like recognition scene where she's just like oh like I'm like fully like like other people see the things that I feel about myself um because like circling back to validation like that's not a thing that I want to need but like it's nice to have we all need it like to be clear yeah. I'm like dunking on validation as on like a whole <laughs> yeah like I'm not like I'm not happy about it but I do need it <laughs> um yeah this is interesting Fun fact about me, um, this 
I watch, there was like a period of my life, I don't know what I was going through exactly, but like there was a period of my life where I watched the actor commentary on the live action Scooby-Doo movie every day for like a good solid couple months. That is um, a very specific phase. I don't know what was going on. Um, I, I would have to do a lot of like backtracking to think, like pinpoint why I needed that at that time. Um, I don't know if you, if you have access to it, one of the best actor commentaries out there, like up there with Lord of the Rings, like great cast of people talking about a really fun movie. Um, and I, now, even now when I like watch it without the commentary, it does feel like something's missing. Um, but it was really funny uh, to hear Freddie Prince Jr. talk about the scene where he's like, where him and Velma, teamed up and they don't usually team up and he was like she says something I don't remember what but he's like hey you know everyone thinks I'm like this shallow guy but like nerdy girls like you turn me on too <laughs> and he's like he's like I wasn't positive they were gonna let me like, get away with saying turned on <laughs> like that felt very risky for a children's movie <laughs> I'm like good for you Freddie Prince Jr. making a movie with your wife Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, truly, truly an icon. But yeah, this if you have also... the opportunity to watch it with the actor commentary, it's really good. And uh, Matthew Lillard, a, 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 a big, a big heartthrob for me. I love uh, Matthew Lillard. It's so funny because I feel like, like Matthew Lillard is low-key, like my transition goal. Um, no! Like I would like to, I would like to just become Matthew Lillard from either Hackers or Scream. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's just, he he's on my gender mood board. You have a gender journal, I have a gender mood board. There's a really funny, um, there's a D&D &D show called Dimension 20. Oh, um, this is funny that you bring this up. My partner's uh, like childhood friend is the guy, Brendan. What? Excuse me? Yeah, my, my partner grew up with that Your guy. partner grew up with Brendan Lee Mulligan? Yeah, they text. <laughs> fucking pardon me that's yeah. <laughs> wild it, it, to me it's so funny because like it's we one of like our, our like very clear relationship goals is like we have things that we do outside of like our relationship and that's like definitely like his thing like he's yeah. shared it with me and I think it's great but like I want that to be his thing but like it's so funny encountering people who are like I love Dimension 20 I'm like oh yeah that's like that thing that my like partner does without me and like it's his childhood friend <laughs> That's so wild. But anyway, um, anyway, there's a there's a cast member on Dimension Twenty um, named Ali Beardsley, and they're non-binary. Um, and they made a really funny TikTok that I'll send you later if you're Delightful. interested. Where it is essentially TikToks. It's my love language. Little gift. Little pebbles okay. like a penguin. I fucking love sending and receiving TikToks. But anyway, I yeah, it, they they were just essentially like, oh yeah, like here's me pre pre, pre testosterone, and then here's me post testosterone, and it's just pictures of that you. Love. <laughs> Wow, there's another common theme. It's not just the newsy, Matthew Lillard. I, well, it's so funny because I feel like there are like some like archetypes of like trans masculinity that we all are just like, like Dipper Pines from Gravity Falls or. Oh, um, I didn't even think of that. Right? Like, they're like, it's just, like any like little guy in any media. Just a little guy. Um, <laughs> or even like, like, I mean, I would, I would make the argument. Um, that Bo from She-Ra is like canonically trans-masculine because he wears a binder. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. But I don't think it's been confirmed, so. Well, that show's gay. They'll get there. 
It's just so good. And like so Noelle, is tra- Noelle is transmasculine. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, it, yeah, I, I, I think, I, here, here's what I'll say. I would say that I am a Scooby Sun, a Daphne Moon, and a Fred Rising. I think I am a, I'm a, I'm going to say a Velma Sun. Probably. A Shaggy Moon and a Scooby Rising. <laughs> I love it. I think that's accurate. I don't know you very well, obviously, but based on our conversation, I just think like, uh, like in my, on my, on the whole, I am hungry and afraid (laughs) on emotionally. I am delicate and feminine and just want to flirt with hot boys and, um, there's a bit of a damsel distress thing going on emotionally. And then outwardly, I am like a hot himbo leader. Yeah, this all this all tracks. Yes. Meanwhile, break like, it down, whole... break it down for me. Break break down, break down the big three of this of the Scooby yeah. thing. Yeah. I appreciate you giving me this framework because I don't know a lot about astrology. I just like am gay, so I'm in proximity to I am gay. <laughs> I am gay. Therefore, I know. <laughs> yes. It's like, I've, I've asked most that those are the big three. Um, yes. So like, think of it like your sun sign is like the, the kind of sum total, like at the, at the core, at the base level, if you had to like explain it very quickly, like this is who I am. Your emotional life is your moon. And then like your outer, like first impression self is your rising. Cool. Yeah. I think my, like my whole deal is functionally like a person who's smart and quietly extremely insecure and like um I would argue Velma is probably neurodivergent in some way and that is <laughs> so like, yeah like all of these yeah like I'm a very neurotic like intellectually driven likes to put pieces together kind of antisocial individual <laughs> um emotionally very golden retrievery very like open and loving um and outwardly like despite being extremely like neurotic and like having a lot of things that I need to be the way that I need them to be I very much present as this like very very chaotic (laughs) I love it this is great I this is this is perfect um a podcast I want to recommend to you uh is we did the reading and these are two friends of mine uh Clementine Von Radix who's a poet you might know their work um Clementine Von Radix and Pia Marchetti who's a the visual designer, uh, they have a podcast called We Did the Reading where they talk about queer media. Um, yeah. They recently did an episode of Sex and the City. And they talked about, um, they did their like big three of, of the, the Sex and the City girls. And like completely unrelated, but I just want to talk about this with you, mm-hmm. is they talk about how like they, Clementine watched Sex and the City and they were like, yeah, like when I thought then I was like trying so hard to be a woman and feeling so out of place in those spaces. Like it was really cool to like watch Sex and the City and take like mental notes and be like, ah, this is how women behave and talk to each other. I see. Um, so that's a really interesting conversation. I love doing, I love doing big threes with like characters because like we all know that like astrology is like but it like gives me joy so Mm. in the way that like you know it's real in the way that like the economy is real and it's unreal in the way that the economy is unreal yeah I mean I feel like like 
the core need that it is filling and I think it is like an important need to fulfill is like it's useful to have a shorthand to talk to other people about things like um like Myers-Briggs isn't real and there's a lot of problems with Myers-Briggs but also like there are people for whom that is a useful shorthand and like yes cool good for good, good for you <laughs> um my Myers-Briggs is the one that's most often associated with villains so like I don't subscribe to that <laughs> like yeah. if you look at like oh like what are all of the like characters in tv shows who are INTJs it's all like sociopaths <laughs> and I was just like hmm cool great cool great great <laughs> stop, I'm gonna stop using that I just like don't what I don't vibe with with uh with Myers-Briggs is that like I am extrovert presenting but like introvert in reality because I like reach my point where I just like hate people <laughs> I'm like a terrible host yeah. because like with people in my space I'm like how dare you please leave, <laughs> like, by, please leave by nine <laughs> please get out of here and I will like unabashedly be like I'm kicking you out I can't do this anymore mm-hmm. um I'm very like particular about my space but like so I just don't feel like it leaves a lot of room for like ambiverts but like, fuck, I love a personality quiz. I'm obsessed with myself. I love talking about myself. Myself is the only thing I will ever like own in any meaningful way. So like, how could you not be obsessed with yourself? And not want to like talk about it all the time. Yeah, I feel, yeah. And even like, like it's, that's, it's that same thing um, of like, sometimes it's just nice to feel seen by something. Is <laughs> like I, like someone in my, uh, I did a show at school last year where we like made a witch coven and did a bunch of devised work together and it was really like fun and cute. Um, this theme running through your life. One of the undergrads in my coven who is like a delight, um, they know a ton about astrology and they like read my chart and it was like eerily and astonishingly accurate and I was just like this is like this doesn't make any sense um, but I feel so seen and that is so cool. <laughs> I love, no, I, I, it sounded like I don't like astrology. I want to be clear. I love astrology. I so identify with my big three. Like I, I live by the fact that I'm a triad of fire signs. I'm also, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. What are you? Um, I'm a Sag sun, (laughs) Sag moon and an Aquarius rising. So you're two fire, one air. Yeah. Mm. Wait, so you're a Sag sun? literally same mm. I knew this was I knew this was destined here we are well, <laughs> only, everyone was everyone is really mean about Sagittarius is on Instagram and I like went on a quest to figure out why that is I I think that Sagittarius's are fundamentally misunderstood I think um, so too I I because I, whenever like I see like real like real pop astrology I'm not talking about like the good shit I'm talking about like the cheap shit mm-hmm. like it's always like Sagittariuses are leaving you on red and going on vacation. I'm like, that's not it. It's not that. It's like, I feel nervous when I don't have the option to shift my life up every two years. I love an exit strategy. Exit strategy. Yes. Sagittarians need exit strategies. Like, I think a lot of it has to do with like what like soothes you when you're not feeling okay. And like, for me, that's like some sort of motion. Like if I'm not feeling okay, I need to like go for a walk or a drive or like not travel necessarily. I don't feel like jet setting is like a part of my personality, but like motion certainly is. 
Yeah. Or even I talked to my friend Brian of the gayer and they're they are in their fame about this um well and he because he is he is a leo so he has some like fire like we have some fire kinship there um we were talking about he explained it to me as like because i'm also not like a jet setter um but he was like you were to know that we both made like peace signs when we said that word go on let's say we're doing a podcast Um, this is an oral medium but i need you all to know that we both went like two fingers up go on well mostly I was just like oh like we're just chatting now, which is like <laughs> all right we're recording this um oh but he who's like no I think for you it's actually like you like ideologically need an exit strategy like mm-hmm. you need to like be able to put a project down and do something else um or you just like want to be exploring new things all the time um yeah so I ain't I, never met a fire sign that didn't have ADHD not yeah, a I, one. I'm like I'm at a point with like being neurodivergent where I just like use that word because I don't like all of my symptoms overlap so much that like I don't know what's the truth. Um, I just take some pills. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, like I I feel like part of the reason it took me so long to figure out that I'm trans is because I'm also autistic. So I just like um, like the feeling of like working really hard at fitting in with a group of people that I am supposed to fit in with is not unfamiliar to me. <laughs> right. That cronk coming in the back of your head. You're like, well, this could be several things. Yeah. That's an extremely useful touchstone for me. And I'm deeply grateful to you for it. Cause I'm just like, oh, I feel the that. Cronk so coming. I'm just like, uh, <laughs> well, like, that's, I, sorry, we're going to circle back to this again. I'm just so excited to be talking to another trans mask person is like, I feel like there's this kind of narrative we're fed about transness. That's yeah. like, you knew from a young age. No. <laughs> I had no fucking clue. Yeah, I, like, uh, I didn't like know. As, as much as I believe that like children can be queer, sure. I also think that children are limited in their capacity for self-knowledge and like, it is much easier to look back. And cause like, I was like, when I was growing up, I was like very like, I guess this is like maybe adhering somewhat to the stereotype, but I was like very like, like I'm a tomboy and that's really cool. And I'm like one of the guys and like whatever, but I were um, like the meme that pops up every so often where it's like, oh, when you're in elementary school and the teacher's like, I need a strong boy to carry all these chairs. And like you stand up and you're trying to carry like six chairs in I each arm. <laughs> yeah, like I'm a strong boy. Strong boy. Like, yeah, go on, you, you finish. Well, like, yeah, like, this is definitely, like, true for me, but I also, yeah, it was, it was, I never felt like I was, like, trapped in the wrong body. Like, I don't know. I fucking love my body. Um. Yeah, I have this tweet that's, like, sitting in the arsenal, because I don't want to, like, creep too much about my transness. I'm not trying to, like, bombard people, but, mm-hmm. like, I'm, like, a man with perfect breasts. I don't really know what to do about that at this time, um, but yeah, for me, it was never, like, for me, it was actually had probably more body stuff than like anything else. Cause I was actually so feminine. Mm-hmm. I hit high school and gossip girl came out, um, mm-hmm. around when I started high school and I was obsessed with gossip girl. If you are listening listener, I am actively trying to find someone who will come on this podcast and talk about gossip girl with me. If this is you, please reach out. I want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I like similar to what with the way that my friends saw Sex and the City as like the roadmap into how to like fitting in with other girls. I was like, oh, Blair Waldorf of this Gossip Girl universe, like, is first of all, like, I have a, when it comes to feminine people, I have a type and it is dark haired and mean to me. 
um, Azula from Avatar, mm -hmm. perfect woman. Like, I just want like a, a woman with raven hair to step on my neck. Um, and Blair Waldorf, I think was like the, the catalyst of like, I was like, oh, she seems to have femininity nailed. Um, mm. And I feel like the crown coming whenever I'm like with women and forced to be like womanly. So I'm just gonna lean so hard. I'm just gonna wear a skirt and a bow in my hair every day. And that's gonna make the humming go away. It didn't. Um, but I was like really feminine for a very long time. And I think anytime any sort of like gender questioning came up, I would like quickly divert and like lean so hard into femininity. Um, and all of this to say, there are so many different, there's no like one way. And I think that's where like a lot of people kind of take a long time to figure this out and it's hard. Yeah. And it's like, like, it's absolutely like a thing to be celebrated, but it's also until we reach a point culturally where it's not like this thing that we are taught to fear because I feel like the narrative of like oh you're trapped in the wrong body or whatever is like a narrative of fear of just like oh like something is wrong with you <laughs> that you yeah, have to I resolve don't like that framing no because like I absolutely like the moment of like like I can pinpoint the the moment not where I like knew that I was trans or whatever it was that was like a slow realization but there was like a moment where I was like oh like I can't ignore this anymore yeah um because I was like sitting on my bathroom floor and I was listening to um this song called transgender dysphoria blues by against me um they're such a it's such a good band the leader is a is a trans woman Laura Jane Grace she fucking rules um but I was listening to this song that is like not about my specific experience or whatever, but it is very much like accurate to the experience of gender dysphoria and being trans and whatever. And I'm just listening to the song over and over again and sobbing on my bathroom floor. And my roommate at the time came and was like, you good? And I was like, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely not good. <laughs> um, I just wish there, I wish there could be less crying involved in that moment, you know? Yeah, it's it's just like, because for me, I think, I think like, as much as I don't believe that there is like a thing to be mourned huh. in the way that people talk about, there's like a thing to be mourned. I was like grieving for like the time that I missed out on like <laughs> having this self-knowledge. Yeah. I think the funny thing about me being like leaning so hard into femininity was that I was also like very much actively seeking out the friendship and like community of gay men at the time when I was like young, I was like, I need to like I was obsessed with like gay men. You can ask my mom. I was like, I, just, I, I like, I was obsessed. Like I'd seen Rent and I was like, well. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, this is it. This is it. And I was like, like all of my really close friends were gay men. And I would like, I had these relationships with them that my mom was like, yeah, like, I think if you were a, a man, you two would be dating. And that like broke my heart to hear because I think all I wanted was to be dating them. And I was just like, I am like, I just really love gay men. And my parents would laugh and be like, ha ha ha, you're such a flame dame. And I was like, yeah, that's probably what this is. Like, I'm just a straight gal who loves gay men, right? And like, and like now in heterospect, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I see. I see yeah. what's going on there. And just like all my so. life, I've just like actively so sought the companionship of gay men. And just like that has felt, I was like been seeking that out and like rooting for it, like a little gross mold. Yeah, yeah. I was the same way. Yeah. Um, like I, 
because like there was a lot of like unresolved like queerness that I wasn't okay with and I was like like in college I was really really close friends um with a with a gay guy and we were with two gay guys and we were yeah we were super close and whatever and I was dating this like super homophobic person at the time and it was just like a, it was just like a mess it was so bad that was a bad relationship for a lot of reasons um I yeah it was like a whole it was like a whole thing but yeah I also like sought out that companionship and was or even like I very much have the trans experience of like living most of my life like I really care about trans issues and I really want to advocate for trans people for some reason <laughs> absolutely this thing like this matters so much to me like I was like I was working with a with a playwright um I was his uh, script supervisor um on a show when I was doing my apprenticeship um and this is like a like a person who's like kind of a big deal and he like took me out to lunch one day and it was really sweet and we were just like chatting and whatever and he was like so like what like as a dramaturg like what are you trying to do like what is your area of focus like what kind of work are you interested in I was like oh like I really care about advocating for trans and non-binary writers and he was like oh well like why is that and I was like I don't know it just like I just like really care about that for some reason and he was like well like you know if you're not like in this community like be be careful about like speaking on their behalf or like making yourself an advocate that they didn't ask for and then like a year and a half later I came out and he sent me a message and he was just like <laughs> called it there it is <laughs> and again, there it is. one of those things where it's like oh well <laughs> there's I, I figured out the reason <laughs> <laughs> I, it came up I, I came out to my parents recently they were fine like and again they were like very much like oh yeah like this makes sense for you and like mm -hmm. one of the reasons that my stepmom stated she was like oh you were always trying to like rub up on gay men <laughs> and I was like oh that's embarrassing for me <laughs> like, I don't think that's anything to be embarrassed about like yeah like only in like again like the heterospect is intense but like <laughs> yeah there's yeah I too have the experience of just looking back and being like oh like I I you're just cringing at so many things. You poor, poor dear. You poor, oh. poor dear. Um, I have to ask my wrap up questions because we've been at this for almost two hours now. Um, <laughs> what was your experience uh, with sex education and did you have the talk? Um, I don't recall receiving a lot of sex education. Like I think I received like standard public school sex education that was like not bad, but also not great. Very PNV oriented. Um, uh, yeah, like, su yeah. like super not inclusive of like queer whatever. And like, like we talked about contraceptives, but it wasn't like, so yeah, like just like very like subpar standard public school sex education um it. and I don't I don't recall having like a talk like I didn't learn the word for what masturbation was until like embarrassingly late oh, no. like despite having like actively practiced it <laughs> like I didn't realize what I was doing <laughs> oh no you were like this is what? I have a question about this then um this is deeply personal and you do not have to answer it as with any of the questions I ask on this podcast um, but like, see, see, before you knew kind of what it was, you were doing it. Did, was there like shame? No, I was just like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks that more people aren't aware of what this is. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. I think two stories about this that come to mind. One is that like, yeah, I, I think 
people with vaginas in general do start masturbating earlier than people with penises. Um, and that's, I don't know if it's because like equipment wise we're set up to go or like what that is about. I'm not a child psychologist. Um, but what's my point? Yeah. So like, I just like remember like engaging in some stuff with my stuffed animals and being like, no one can know that I'm doing this. This mm-hmm. is very secret. This is my secret. No one can know. And so like, I don't know where that shame came from. Cause I think you're actually right. I don't think like I knew the term when I was like engaging. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I don't have any thing else besides that's interesting and then when I used to nanny um I nannied for like a set of twins who were four years old and um I don't know if like what the parents had like talked to them about but like the there was like a a a boy twin and a girl twin for all intents and purposes and the girl twin would like go off and she would be like I need my private time this is my private time this is what I'm doing with my private time. And I'm like, that's wonderful. Like, good for you. So like, these are the things I think about when I think about like, what we know about masturbation when we start versus like, what we know about it when we're told about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting to me that, yeah, like I, yeah, I don't think I experienced shame about it until I was like taught that I should. Fascinating. like I, yeah, because I like, yeah, maybe this is like a hot take that will get me hashtag canceled or whatever. But yeah, like I think children should absolutely like explore that part of themselves as early as, as they want to, because I like, yeah, you just, you just like gotta, you just gotta know how to, you just gotta know yourself in that way. There's literally no shame and no danger. <laughs> like that's. Yeah. Like what are you going to do? <laughs> it's the safest thing you could possibly, I mean, well, the be gentle with yourself and don't go crazy, but like emotionally probably the safest thing you could do for yourself. Yeah, it's, and cause it's also just like, I feel like it's an agency thing mm-hmm. more like first and foremost, like, yeah. Just, just gonna, I don't think you that's just, hashtag canceled. No one, no one needs, you don't need a man or anyone else. No partner, it, this is, yeah. And on that lovely note, you have anything you'd like to promote? Uh, I have a podcast called Dungeons and Drama Nerds that you can find on Twitter at DN Drama Nerds. Um, if you like theater and tabletop games. That rules. Um, where can people find you on the internet should you so want to be found? Uh, I'm on Twitter at TechXNI, T-E-C-H-X-N-I. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Percy.Hornack. Incredible. And the last question I have for you. Percy, did that do it for you? Oh, it sure did. Ah, Fantastic. I'm stopping the recording. Well, that did it for me. Hope that did it for you. Thank you so much for listening. That Do It For Ya is hosted and created by Leo Grierson, edited and produced by Leo Grierson and Eric Solis, theme songed by Eric Solis, and visual design is by Benny Kessler. Follow us on social media at That Do It For Ya, wherever you social your media. That Do It For Ya is a proud arm of the Juvenalia Collective. To find out more about the collective and what we do, you can head over to thejuveniliacollective.com. And if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash thatdoitforyapod to join our horny little community.